0: Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey.
1: Well, hello there, and good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world today. You're listening to Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey with Transformational Energy Leadership, coming to you live from the heartland of America. And today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, conflict and leaders who embrace it. Now, before we get started to all my listening audience out there, just a reminder, go to my website during the commercial break. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com where you can learn more about me and my business offerings. And of course, I welcome emails. So you can contact me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can also go to this platform. That's Voice America under the Empowerment Channel. And I am on social media. That's LinkedIn and Facebook. And also for all of you listening, this is a live show today. And we welcome comments and questions, especially how can you not be quiet when we're talking about conflict? So be part of the conversation. Now, today, I'm, I'm joined by a very, uh, my featured guest is Dave Gerber. And let me tell you a little bit about Dave. This guy, he's the president and founder of Synergy Development and Training and is a change catalyst, motivating people to become the best version of themselves. He's also an executive and leadership coach, learning expert, trainer, and prolific author. And Dave has presented to more than 10,000 executives, man- Managers and individuals from across the U.S. Some of his audience include SAIC, NASA, Dominion Power, Nova Nordisk, the military community, medical and dental community, martial arts, and many, many more talking about conflict. So this guy knows his stuff. In addition to his organizational leadership and conflict management experience, Dave is a certified instructor-level black belt in Krav Maga, which is self-defense, and has completed his advanced certification training in the art of Reiki. All right, that's enough. Dave, welcome to, the trans- welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm real excited to be here.
1: Me too. So, you know, Dave, you have written a lot. You, you speak about this on the speaker circuit. You work with clients in this world of all things conflict. How did you get into this space?
2: Yeah, <laughs> It's a great question. I, I think I realized at some point that conflict found me. Uh, no matter what I did, and maybe I should try and uh help people and monetize it and uh bring bring solutions to people um to, to tough subjects and simplify them so i I got excited about that and have stayed with it ever since so
1: what's your secret what's your secret to managing conflict or dealing with it
2: I think that there's lots of secrets that are that are real genuine one is you know I'm a really authentic person. Uh, people come to realize that my goal is to take my experiences, the experiences of others, best practices, and share those openly and honestly with people so that they can level up faster. Uh, So I think it's, you know, none of us are really born with conflict management skills, and we talk about that today. And most of us aren't even taught them. So, in addition to my background and uh, and education, I decided to to go back and and really study the the subject, you know, really deeply, including, as you mentioned in my introduction, uh, the full contact uh, self defense form of Krav Maga. So, even looking at that as a pull through for what we can learn in our professional and our personal lives. You
1: you say that leaders need to seriously consider standardizing the real work. Place taboo conflict is not a dirty word, and you know for me conflict it conjures up so many mental, mental and physical reactions. They're not necessarily for me, but probably for a lot of people. And really, conflict it's it's framed as this negative thing, and I, I you know in those moments when we have conflict, our limbic system is triggered. You know we fight, we, we or we want to flight and get out of there, or we just freeze. And I know for me, I I just prefer to steer clear of conflict, so. When you think about today's working environment, what's going on? Why is it so hard?
2: Well, you know, to sort of address one of the things you just talked about is that, you know, our emotional center, you know, in our brain is in the same space as our long term memory, right? So, as you said, when people even hear the word conflict, they get a physical, guttural, physiological response. And in many ways, that response is similar to the response that people had when there were saber-toothed tigers. And it's, it's a lot of flooding of the body and it can, can be a lot to process. Mostly, you know, people aren't taught the skills to have what I call productive confrontations or positive confrontations. You know, they haven't been taught how to plan for difficult discussions. If you really think about it, when I talk about standardizing conflict solutions, If you you look at our society right now, we're really trying to ask goldfish to climb trees. You know, in many ways, we're asking people who come from different parts of the world with different cultures, uh, who had different teachers and different families and different parenting styles, all of whom had their own conflict management style. And now we're putting them all in a room or in a business, and we're saying, go to it and make it happen. And I just don't think that's realistic. And, I, and I've been talking about this for 15 years, and I think, interestingly enough, society, which is now faced with a lot more conflict that's in your face, including the last election and politics and and people's sensitivities are higher about all different types of things, it's even more of a reason why I think people and leaders are being more receptive, particularly progressive leaders, are being more receptive to wanting to take on what I call low-hanging fruit. I mean, there are a lot of low-hanging fruit solutions to conflict that we can standardize and help get everybody on the same page.
1: Mm. And, I, and I would say that conflict is good. I, I, I'm sure you're, you're, you agree with that as well, is that, that conf- conflict is good. It's just how do we approach
2: it? So I talk about, instead of thinking of it as conflict, thinking of it as pro-flict, really. You know, conflict is not a dirty word. Uh, I, I, I taught a group once, and I asked them at the very beginning on a Saturday morning to think of all the swear words they could think of, you know, not to say them out loud. But And then I asked them afterward, I said, how many of you came up with the word conflict, and none of them did. So the first thing we have to do is we have to sort of change our association with the word, and we need to think about this with respect to opportunities instead of thinking about it as, as only risks. And that's usually what people associate. When they think of conflict, they think of risk. And if we talk about conflict, we might as well give it a basic definition. You know, conflict is really a disagreement about where we're going, uh, the end result, or how we're going to get there. And we can see that all the time, both personally and professionally, everywhere we go. So I talk about people needing to develop their own personal conflict radar, uh, their ability to detect it early and to practice their conflict management skills in lower-level situations where it doesn't count quite as much before they get into the personal and the the professional conflicts that are really tough. That's one of the things that I help people do and and teach them models and skills and things to become more comfortable with ambiguity and how to move through that ambiguity. It's like the more you know in self-defense, the less you are likely to have to actually use it. Yes, being
1: comfortable with ambiguity is not necessarily comfortable for a lot of people, a lot of us. And I, I like how you reframe it to pro-flict instead of conflict and viewing it as an opportunity. You know, I, you can't help but... You know, j- just as I was thinking about the show and getting ready for it, and looking at the news and such, you, there are so many, so many things going on. As you said, and you know, when you want to think about the most recent election, for example, when I'm thinking about work and the sensitivity is so high, you've got you hear about bullying going on, you hear about micro inequity in inequities in the workplace. You know, those subtle, unconscious messages that devalue others, and what has been, you know, what's been your experience working with people and organizations to address these types of things?
2: Uh, it's a great question. First is we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their behavior. And when we slow down and we think about that, we realize that mm-hmm. when we are operating in the workplace, for instance, and we do something wrong that bothers someone, We really want them to assume and slow down and and realize we didn't mean it that way. We didn't intend for it to be that way. However, when it's the other way around, we often associate the behaviors we see that we don't like with some negative intention. So the first thing is we have to almost give each other forgiveness beforehand and say, look, we're going to make mistakes. Let's figure out how we can talk about them. And that's a really huge thing is the ability to ask good open-ended questions and to to do so in a way where it doesn't force people to justify themselves, but to explain themselves. For instance, in the workplace, you, uh, an example might be, hey, you know when you said that, it it hurt my feelings. Did you mean to do that? Most likely people are going to say, no, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. It just came out with these words. So the first thing is separating people's intention versus their behavior. The next thing is really developing personal skills, greater personal skills and fluency around the subject of conflict so that it's easier to talk about. For instance, if, if it's okay with you, I'd like to share with you one particular model that leaders and individuals can use to really help solve conflicts the, in an easier and better way. Is that okay? Yep, yeah, sounds great. So Christopher Moore, a theorist, talked about all conflicts falling into one of five sources. And it's very important as we talk about this to remember, we're trying to identify a primary source so that we can get to long-term, long-lasting solutions. Oftentimes, we have a tendency to say, oh, well, it's some of this source and it's some of that source. And that doesn't really help us when we actually want to identify and move forward with some actions to help rectify the situation. So real quickly, the five, the five are the first one, and they get more and more difficult to solve. And this is actually a part of the answer that you asked me about, how do we go about? One of the things that happens is we mistake the source of conflict, and most of the time we end up believing it's personal. Mm. Uh, the first source of category or category is data, so data information. So there can be a conflict around, do we agree on the data? Do we agree on the interpretation of the data? Do I have the data? Um, is the data, you know, up-to-date, those kinds of problems. And, and if you think about an intranet, and why a lot of organizations have an intranet, is so they can put out a ton of information. It's the same. Everybody can read it. It reduces the number of questions on those particular subjects, maybe it's healthcare or days off or standard operating procedures. So that's the first level. And what I find is a lot of times there are data conflicts or the next level, which we talk about as interest conflicts or expectations, those types of conflicts very quickly become relationship conflicts if they're not identified early. So as far as conflict management is concerned, identifying the real source as early as possible is a huge thing. So the second one is uh, interest and expectations, very common, as you can imagine, uh, particularly between leaders and, and people who do report to them. They may have a different interest. They may have stated it differently. There may be an expectation that one person just knows the answer. And so that's the second one. The third one is relationships. And you know when you don't take care of other issues, things become relationships for the most part. And I'm an 80/20 guy. You know, there's probably 10% of the people you at work you'd invite to your home, 80% in the middle, and 10% you wish you didn't see. And, and ironically, I think probably the the last 10% is the one that most people end up having their conflicts with. Uh, the 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 next one, the fourth one, is structural. And that's often very frustrating for people because that's like processes and rules and policies, and most of that stuff wasn't created by the two people who were in conflict, so they sort of are frustrated, but there's not a lot either one can really do about it, even if it's a leader and a non-leader. And the last one is values, and clearly we're seeing a lot of value-based conflicts. Uh, What's interesting and that I would encourage people to do when they're trying to identify if it's a value based conflict is really to check in and see if it's an expectation conflict uh, because a lot of times expectation conflicts which come from somewhere aren't quite as deep as values but if we don't create distinction and distinction is a huge is hugely important when we're talking about conflict and sensitivities then we're going to end up blending it and blurring it and it's going to be difficult to have a, a conversation uh, where we're both going to feel like we got a win-win at the end. And even when we disagree, we can have conversations that build the relationship to make them, the future conflicts easier to solve.
1: I really like this five dimensions. In fact, I want to dig into these or talk a little bit more about these when we, we're we already at a break, Dave. So what we're going to do, let's go ahead and take a break. And during that time for the listening audience, go to my website, that's transformationalenergyleadership.com. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation, looking at data, looking at interests. And something that you talked about a little bit earlier, Dave, that I want to talk more about is separating intentions from behavior. So stay tuned. We'll see you back here on the other side.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're lost in the dating world and need GPS, if you're stuck in dating hell and can't get out, if you're in need of a dating intervention, then done being single with host Trevor and Robbie Sharp is your lifeline to love. From hookups to happily ever after, learn how to navigate single life and find The One. Tune in to Done Being Single, Saturdays, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, With award-winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the Empowerment Channel.
3: Starts here. Voice America It's your world.
0: You are tuned in to transformational energy leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed taking a look at my website during the commercial break. Today, we're talking about leadership and conflict, and joining me is Dave Gerber, the president and founder of Synergy Development and Training and an expert in this world of leading through conflict in the workplace. Dave, before we went to break, you were sharing a model with us, and even before that, you were talking about separating intentions from behavior. It reminded me of a workshop I was doing. I I, I do some workshops around this stuff as well, and isn't it interesting that Internally, we give ourselves a pass because we understand the intentions that we have. And so we're much easier on ourselves. And I I really liked what you said about we need to separate behavior from intention because just because someone else said something and we took it the wrong way does not mean that it came from a, a hurtful place.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's huge. A basic example you can think about if you're just on the highway. And somebody cuts you off, and and they, they drive in a way that bothers you, right? Which is the behavior. Maybe they almost hit you. You know, the likelihood is they that person didn't say, you know what, I'm going to go cut off Dave Gerber on the highway, and um, that's going to be my intention. Um, we take things very personally, and we also we don't slow down to look at intention, and that's tough, you know. And one of the things that I offer to people an acronym to help them slow down is is wait. Why am I talking? So when something happens, when we hear somebody say something we don't like or disagree or impugns us, you know, if we can remember why am I talking, you know, it gives us that second, you know, why are we talking? To defend, defy, argue, problem solve, redirect. A lot of times the silence is, is really is really huge and a lot can be learned in the silence before we move forward. And isn't that, it's such a great acronym because we're so
1: eager to jump in and cut others off and express our point of view, oftentimes at the detriment of others. And, you know, I, I, I was thinking when you were talking about your model and you said the very first one was was data, data information, then you went through interest, relationships, structural and values. And I was, I was thinking about the ladder of inference. Are you familiar with that?
2: Oh, absolutely. It uh, happens instantly. Do you want me to talk yeah, about that?
1: Yeah, go for it.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it's a great tool. It's an easy one that everybody can remember. You just think about a ladder, and essentially at the bottom rung, something happens. You know, we see something, you know, and it's amazing because over evolutionary time, we used to be able to pick up 700 different things in our field of vision. Now it's about 70. So we we pick up something in our vision. We immediately pull that back in. We start to assign meaning, and before we know it, we're acting on it um, in some way, either emotionally, physically, or verbally. Uh, I like to give an example because some people doubt this and it's like, no, this really happens. And it happens so quickly that that's one of the challenges of walking ourselves back down the ladder. So here's an example. So two middle-aged women, they go into a restaurant and they're seated at a booth and a, and a good looking young waiter comes up and he says, Hey, can I take your drink order? And the ladies give the ladies give him the drink order, and, as he turns to walk away, one of the women says to this, to the guy says, "Hey, what are you doing later?" So the waiter says, "Well, let me get your drinks, and I'll be right back so he goes he gets the drinks, he brings them back, he puts them on the table, and he says, "You know what, Mom? My friends and I were going to the movies later <laughs> now I'm sure the majority of the people listening thought to themselves in that moment wow, that woman was hitting on that young waiter. And (laughs) immediately it triggers stuff. And so it triggers stuff in our mind and it triggers stuff in our body and things change. And remember, this is a benign example of something that doesn't even matter. If this happens in the workplace, when we hear somebody say something, boom, we go real fast and we change and it makes it a lot more difficult to respond. Oftentimes we talk about this concept of emotional hijacking. You know, people get emotionally hijacked. You know, the research shows for 15 to 18 minutes, they're not going to be able to think as clearly, work with their emotions, come up with solutions for 15 to 18 minutes. And and depending on your training, that actually might go up to three to four hours. I mean, a lot of people have had that moment where, you know, they're cut off on the highway, and now all of a sudden they're in a meeting two hours later, and they're still thinking about that person on the highway who cut them off. We
1: are so quick to jump to assumptions, and I hear what you're saying. We're hijacked. And, and it happens for everyone, even people who pride themselves in saying, I, you know, I'm purely logic, you know, the feelings, they try to put those aside. Every one of us are still impacted one
2: way or the other. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a conflict management expert, and I'd be a liar if I told you it doesn't happen to me. I mean, I'm a human being, and we're human animals. You know, humans are the only animals that have the ability to know that they're animals and still yet forget every day that they're animals and so we have a lot of the physiological you know hardwiring that we've had forever and that's huge and so that's what takes time and that's what takes practice and that's what takes effort to truly be conscious if and we're talking about transformational energy that's a huge transformation is to be able to catch yourself in conflict to slow down to respond instead of react and, and to do so when, in reality, most uh, families, most K-12 through 12 education, colleges, uh, post-doctor and post-degrees uh, don't talk about conflict management skills. So, yes, I, we want everybody in the workplace to transform themselves and become these highly effective communicators when stress levels are high, people are overworked, people are bringing in outside frustrations, medical issues. There are huge challenges, and so that, you know, we talked about listening before. That, that's huge, too. It's stated a lot, but, you know, we're, we're programmed to listen to respond, not listen to understand. So we have to slow back down, especially in this age of information. You know, we've become a society of information and no knowledge, you know, so we have to really slow down, and, and I think that's, that's huge.
1: And it's so counterculture to the way we live our lives these days. Dave, we've got a caller coming in from Denver. Her name is Lorna. And are you out there? We'd love to hear your question.
3: My question for Dave is, as a leader, I'm often asked to play the judge and listen to someone and help them come up with a, counter-argument to some conflict, and I'm just wondering if you have any advice for us as leaders when we're asked to play the judge.
2: That's a great question. Uh, I think one thing is that, this is a great question, and let me look at it a couple different ways. When we think of just even the literal translation of the judge, we think of a courtroom. When we think of a courtroom, when we think of a judge in a courtroom, one of the things that's specific is that it's a very two-system the judge is going to tell us what we have to do. Whereas I, I'm my background is in mediation, and I would like to consider and, and ask leaders to move to, more towards a mediator role where they can actually, which is much more of a with-based system. So the first thing is, judges don't have time to hear all the facts and know all the context, and that's why most of the time, uh, or quite often, it's, it, and I actually, there's a judge that said, if I make both parties equally unhappy, then I've won. So it becomes <laughs> almost a lose-lose situation when we are in this judge role. And so if there's a way to move more to the mediator role, which is going to be using lots of questions, particularly what-based questions, five to seven words long, what-based questions, and avoiding questions that start with why. Because we want people to explain themselves, not have to justify themselves. So the first thing is to sort of say, you know what, I'm not going to take the role of judge. I'm going to take the role of uh, mentor, of coach, of mediator, and try and be the one who is actually more focused on process and allowing and giving my people the skills to be able to have better conversations with themselves. Because the other thing is... Mediators help people get to solutions that they can own. Whereas, how often does a judge throw down the gavel, give the answer of who wins and who loses, and even the winner's not happy? So, I think the focus is to, and this goes back to skill set also. A lot of people don't have the skill set, particularly when I talk about standardizing uh, workplace conflict, I teach a particular model for how people can better prepare for conversations, reduce ambiguity, create disarming statements, and, and, do, and do these you know, conversations at a higher level, uh, including the leaders knowing how to be better prepared to reduce the ambiguity, which really just causes stress in the moment. And then a lot of times, particularly when we are short on time, we end up just rushing things, and usually somebody loses uh, so I'd be curious if you feel like that was a good answer for you.
3: Oh, well, you just really reminded me that when I go back and I replay those situations, I realize that what I need to do is open with questions, not go into judge mode, not go into the to-do list as you expressed it. And, and invariably, in Dave, that's where I've come up short every time. If I, just if I could
2: reduce it to two words, it would be get okay.
3: curious.
2: Yeah. Yes, I
1: was going to say the same thing, Dave. Get curious.
3: So helpful.
2: Thank you. You're very oh, thank welcome. You. Thanks for Appreciate the in.
1: call. Yes, very much. So Hi, I, I am. We're on the same page, Dave. I was thinking the very same thing. Is when when we're truly curious, that really transforms the way that we approach these dilemmas and these challenges that were thrown that are thrown to us.
2: Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard to get curious when you're frustrated, angry, upset, uh, passionate, charged up, uh, and and that's the rub. That's the challenge. That's where we know that we're growing is, you know, often when we realize as tough as it is, we don't have to defend ourselves. And, and, and also, speaking, with, you know, with your last caller, you know, oftentimes the leader is working harder than the two people that are in conflict. Mm, that's, I, that's, not a good, that's not a good way to go about it. So to take some pressure off self as the leader, to get curious, ask questions, and to allow people to see the situation from a different perspective. And then they end up coming up with their own solutions, which they're more likely to own and, and be held accountable to.
1: Right, and that's that's the way you want it to be. That way, they buy into it and they embrace it, and and will do what they can to resolve it rather than give an dictum to them. You, you know, Dave, we can't have this conversation and not look at the financial impact of conflict in the workplace. I, you know, you can Google this stuff and just look and see. There's so many different indicators out there about conflict and you know what's going on out there. I I found this one article by Consulting Psychology Press, and it said that. U.S. employees spend 2.8 hours per week dealing with conflict. That's a lot of time, Dave.
2: <laughs> it's a ton of time. And actually, your listeners can go to ConflictCalculator.com. It's a tool that I put together for leaders to start to have the financial, situa- financial discussion around the cost of conflict. So if you take 2.8 and you do simple math by three levels, levels—you know, your executives, your middle managers, and your employees, and you do the math you're going to find that there is so much money that's going out the back end. I talk about it as the humans factor, the S is the dollar sign, because it's really the right thing to do to help people deal with conflict, manage their conflict, create wellness. Unfortunately, that doesn't really drive business. The financial side drives business. So the great thing is we can deal with conflict, we can reduce the, the amount of money that goes out the back, we can actually use it to help us generate revenue, and all the while, We're helping people with respect to personal wellness, professional wellness. We're increasing loyalty. We're increasing discretionary energy that's used on the job. Retention will go up. I mean, really, in many ways, it's a a no-brainer. But I put that calculator together so that people could go, you know what, we need to have the discussion because it's not abstract anymore. And I had a conversation with somebody yesterday real quickly who said, well, it's just really hard to quantify. And I said, well, here's two things. One, go to conflict calculator and figure out how much you're losing. And two, uh, if I told you that I would work for your organization for free for a year, but you had to give me 25% of any conflict dollar that I saved you, the guy was like absolutely not and i was like well i got you <laughs> we yes. can either quantify it or we can go with your intuition which you know is there's a lot there and it's costly
1: yes and just imagine i mean er, every organization and, and and of course i said the us but this is not isolated here is is worldwide and it, it, the time that we're just spending on conflict. conflict conflictcalculator.com all right so we're at a commercial break and to the listening audience, go out there and look at conflict. What is it? Conflictcalculator.com. Of course, my website too. We will be back here in just a few minutes and continue this conversation about conflict in the workplace and the leaders' responsibility. Stay tuned.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
3: Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it listen live every monday at noon pacific and 9 p.m central european time for creating beyond reality on the voice america empowerment channel do you desire to have the happiest healthiest most abundant life possible free from emotional hurt and pain and full of physical spiritual and emotional health and healing listen for surviving to thriving Denitra Gary, your clinical social worker, takes you on a journey of knowing who you are from God's perspective as she gains insights from counselors, speakers, and educators to give you knowledge into who God created you to be. Tune in Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: You are tuned in to transformational energy leadership to reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today. You are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to M at transformational energy
1: Now back to this week's show. And we are back. Today, we're talking about how leaders can best harness the power of conflict in the workplace. And my special guest is Dave Gerber, who leads, teaches, coaches, and speaks about conflict on a daily basis. Dave, in the very beginning, we talked about your background. And one of the interesting things is that you're an instructor-level Black Belt and Krav Maga. And from what I understand about this martial art, it's it really gets at aggression. And then also you've completed advanced certification training, in the arts of Reiki. So my big question for you is how has all this training informed you in the work that you do?
2: Well well, thanks for mentioning those. You know, what I've tried to do is be bring together a unique background um, that's different than anyone else on the planet with respect to this subject, in that you know, having the proven experience of working with uh, corporate and organizations and their leaders, as well as doing the deep dive into a very aggressive uh, form of self-defense, which is another obviously form of conflict, you know, complemented with the third part of the triangle, which is the healing component. And the healing component, uh, all three of those together, I think, work together to allow me to bring a, a new way, a different way, to talk about the subject as well as bring on uh, contextual experiences from these other subjects that you know might be counterintuitive for some people, but actually when you think about it, all three kind of work together.
1: It makes a lot of sense, the trifecta of the three. The way you explain it, that does make a lot of sense. I'm wondering for the leaders out there, how can transformational leaders take the these aspects of what you're talking about here and apply it in their lives personally or within their organizations
2: so i guess maybe i'll try and answer the question in two ways one let's look at it from the business professional side you know, leaders the first thing that leaders need to consider is what are the firewalls that are getting in the way of actually addressing the loss conflict dollars and the lost relationships and the turnover that's impacting our organization particularly now with six maybe seven different generations in the workplace and to sort of do a sort sort of slow down and say you know what I'm listening to Dave and Dave is saying that there's low hanging fruit and there's stuff that we can do right away and it's concrete and it can give people similar skills and get people talking and working on the same uh, on the same pathway when there's difficult conversations of all kinds whether it's performance planning performance assessment you know one team has to talk to another team the model i teach actually can be used for sales uh for sales and business development i mean it really sticks to the wall to anything and everything that they're doing and so encouraging them to help themselves on a professional level, as well as the people that they lead, to develop a conflict fluency, to develop skills, to to start to feel more comfortable, uh, and to realize that conflict's not a dirty word and it's something that they actually have the capacity to learn and to learn quickly, uh, which can make a huge uh, impact on on the culture as well as the bottom line right away. So people often think, oh, I'm going to have to wait around for my return on investment. That's not really true. I mean, you know, if you have a room with 20 leaders and you do a full-day training and they walk out and now all those 20 leaders are there for your company for the next Seven, five, three, ten, fifteen 10, 15 years and are using similar skills, they're showing up to meetings better, they're showing up to tough conversations better, uh, they're, and, and everything, and all boats rise. So I think that realizing that, you know, from the right, getting it from the right source, and one of the reasons I think that I'm put on the planet is to is to simplify the complex and to help people with these issues to make it so that everybody can sort of level up faster and better. Uh, And and that has a huge payoff, not only in terms of the things he mentioned, but it also helps with internal branding. It also helps with uh, creating distinction in the marketplace for their organization. It it increases their capacity to deliver their services, their unique services, better, faster, et cetera. And and then, as I said, you can save and generate money. From from the personal side, which is the, the more challenging side, you know, in many ways, um, what I realized was, you know, there's th- this triangle. There's this leader who has to have these solid conflict management skills and work with people at all levels within an organization. Also, that same leader didn't become a leader unless they had some kind of warrior spirit. And if the warrior spirit is not sort of addressed, then, you know, that's one part of the triangle that's not going to hold up. And then the last one, which I would say on a, I've been looking at for 20-something years, but more on a formal basis in the last two or so, three, is this concept of it's lonely at the top. And mm-hmm. if it's lonely at the top for leaders, then they're going to have to figure out a way to self-generate, self-heal, self-propel themselves when they don't have many people that are around them who can help support them. And so for me, and, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks here, I'll be passing my master training in Reiki. What I wanted to do was bring this softer side, this healing side, to leaders that are progressive and that want to think about it, who understand the value of exercise and the yoga and meditation and realize that there's an even deeper level. And, and I personally have experienced the deeper level um, not only through, you know, corporate relationships, personal relationships, but also the passing of my mother is coming up on a year. And I know that um, my capacity to bounce back to my work, bounce back to, as a father, uh, bounce back as a man, all couldn't have been done as quickly if I didn't have that deeper energy healing side. And so I think the three work together, and I think the three, what I've tried to do is help people of all different backgrounds really sort of not be able to discount what I'm talking about. So if I'm talking to people who are on the softer side, they're going to appreciate the healing side and component of conflict. If I'm talking to a soldier or more someone who's more warrior-based, they're going to appreciate the background and the depth of knowledge that I've tried to get as a black belt instructor fortunately under two martial arts masters hall of famers so good lineage and then mm-hmm. like we started you know doing the solid work for organizations of all different kinds you know in, including co-authoring three and nasa's conflict management programs and in proven skills and techniques that work and and i think that because i've been able to put those together it's allowed me to really be authentic and raise my game and be able to speak to people of all backgrounds for all ages and to develop, you know, I have a tool that's a multi-generational conflict management tool. So I'm not sure if I got everything there you wanted to know, but I think that that is, a, along with personal experiences, just like everyone has, and journeys of difficulties uh, that that I've moved through, uh, they've allowed me to sort of bring a different, you know, uh, presence when it comes to talking about these subjects.
1: I, to answer your question, yes, Dave, you answered it, and I really really admire what you're talking about here is it's it's looking at the whole self and the whole self is you have we have different roles in life to play and what you're saying is, is it's important to nurture all of those dimensions it's the skill part it's that warrior that's the that's that aspect the healing aspect of it is all just so intertwined and we have to nurture all those so that we can embrace conflict and and find the merit in what it has to offer in terms of emerging new ideas and and minimizing legal issues for an organization, for example. And it's it's imperative that the full self is, is present. And that's what I'm getting from you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it takes time and it takes focus and it takes energy. And no one puts uh, metacognition or reflection on an invoice. You know, it's hard to... <laughs> Um, bill back the company. You know the the fact that you spent some time thinking about a serious problem, uh, and solving a serious problem, but you didn't write anything down. But yet it still solved. Uh, you know an obstacle that would have cost you know tons of time and money and resources. I mean we're talking about a turnover rate of a hundred, a cost of 150 to 400 percent of somebody's salary in turnover. So, you know, that along with, you know, people being more transient, moving jobs, uh, we have to be better versions of ourselves. And when we are better versions of ourselves, it it does make it easier, I think, for people to actually look at our intentions, even when the behaviors aren't as good.
1: Right. Dave, I want to switch gears just a little bit here. It's still all related to conflict, and I I can't ignore this just given, you know, what's going on right now. When we think about gender in the workplace... What, you know, how does gender, I mean, there are different schools of camp about women versus men and how we approach conflict or don't approach conflict. And especially with the Me Too movement going on, there's just so much happening right now. What are your thoughts about gender and conflict?
2: Oh, wow. We could write a whole PhD (laughs) dissertation on that subject for sure. Yeah. Um, This is a really tough time for both uh, Sexes, both genders, as they try and maneuver through um, the organization and maneuver, maneuver through the issues that are coming up in society, and it, it's really tough. I'm not exactly sure how to take this question because it's so big, and there are often there are some sociological patterns that sometimes people think of actually as stereotypes, which they're not. And so the first thing is everybody's different. And the definitions of masculinity and femininity have, you know, clearly uh, expanded. Maybe maybe I'll talk about it this way. You know, people talk about alpha males and alpha females and beta males and beta females. And I think I want to add something new to the conversation that most people haven't heard about and that is I created a third category because I thought a third category was needed because it was very polar right now, this alpha-beta thing. And Mm -hmm. and the third category is we actually have alpha-ogre males and alpha-ogre females. Um, And when we talk about alpha-ogre, we're talking about the uh, hyper-masculine, on the male side, we're talking about the hyper-masculine negative behaviors that we've associated with with toxic masculinity forever uh, abuse you know language mm. uh, most people are not falling into the ogre category and when we actually add that category we see that alpha males and alpha uh, and beta males are actually probably more similar because neither of those two categories are engaging the behaviors of hyper toxic masculinity so it sort of gives us another way to think about this and the same would be said on the female side, you know, um, they uh, the female side has alpha ogre as well, and I talk about a concept called dysfunction in the name of equality. And as we've moved in society and created greater, you know, equality between the two genders, um, two sexes, one of the things that's happened is females, alpha females, have been. Moving, many of them have been moving more towards alpha ogre female. Meaning, if we look at all the negative behaviors that women complained about men for the last 3,000 years, you know, now women are doing those behaviors. And so now when you have alpha ogre males and alpha ogre females who are engaging in behaviors which society has said are not healthy. Drinking you know flipping people off when you're driving, um, not censoring language, being a bully, uh, which mind you the bullying the, 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 the women bullying the girls bullying other girls is right now far worse than boys bullying other boys. it's it's, it's a phenomenon that's incredible. and so what's happening is, is you're having a lot of this ogre behavior that's showing up that's really not alpha or beta. It's it's in its own category. And I think that's important for people to start thinking about because it, it, it may make it easier to sort of think about these and how people are showing up. And remember, these are sociological patterns. Not everyone is the same. For instance, I'm, I'm an alpha male by definition. However, I have communication skills, collaboration skills, conflict management. I'm a renaissance guy. I paint. You know, I listen to music. I do a lot of things that someone in 100 years ago could have said, oh, well, that's feminine. Well, that's not how I show up. But I also know that I'm not abusing women. I'm not a misogynist. I'm not doing these types of hyper-masculine or ogre types of behaviors. So mm-hmm. I think that's one way for people to start thinking about this whole alpha-beta concept and how people are showing up in the workplace. The other piece I would say is this is really about respect. There is fundamentally uh, respectful behaviors. And if you look, unfortunately, we're losing a lot of civility, basic civility, you know, in our society. People holding the doors, they don't say thank you. You know, the, you know co- um, sneezing or coughing and not covering their mouth. You know, talking at FaceTime, at a bar, on speakerphone. We've, we've, we've lost our way with respect to understanding what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And so when every in a society where everybody gets a trophy, and you have to love me equally no matter what I do, and we don't put bookends on what is acceptable in our society, that's, that's room for trouble. Uh, and you can look historically, this goes all the way back to the 50s and 60s when they decided to get rid of character education in schools. And from there, with bro- quote-unquote broken families, Uh, families without fathers or families without mothers and all the social things along with finances to create a very stressful place, now people are really responding emotionally. And that's one of the biggest challenges is that we're not having logical conversations because emotion and entitlement to be emotional uh, has, as in many ways, gone overboard.
1: (laughs) This makes a ton of sense. And I think, you know, even, and what's even complicating things even more so is that we rely on our phones and texting. And we really poo pooed the value of what it means for Dave, you, and me to sit here and have a conversation. And it, well, like you we said, we live
2: in a very disposable society and we saw that happen, particularly starting in the eighties and nineties with materialism and it's moved its way into social media. It's moved its way into, you know, television. If we don't like something, we change the channel. If we yeah. don't, you know, I mean, it's you can even look at attention span in schools, not only for kids, but adults, what's our attention span? They're used to being able to watch a, a quick YouTube video or a five minute piece or You know, 15 minutes is usually where people sort of their attention span starts to wander. And then we've now moved that into relationships, disposable relationships with swipe right, swipe left, in the dating. And that whole piece, and particularly in a society where we have a 50% divorce rate, there's a likelihood that a lot of people are going to end up back doing swiping of some kind in a relationship, even if it is to try it. So now when we take that plus this overload of information that we're getting all the time, and actually sit down and look each other in the eye, and there's no distractions. It's it's no wonder people aren't getting curious and asking questions because they're used to having all the information just thrown at them. So uh-huh. it's a whole different skill set that we've always talked about, but I think is becoming more and more important, uh, particularly as technology advances.
1: You you really summed it all up right there. I, in my opinion, I, I completely agree with you. You know, we're we're running out of time. We've got just a couple of minutes, and I I want to want us to step back here and and just still. What are the the three key messages you want on the listening audience to take away from today that they can immediately implement in their lives or really start to put into their thinking when it comes to conflict?
2: Mm. The one I guess the first one is that this is low hanging fruit. And leaders can help themselves with skill sets and can standardize conflict solutions. And it's, it's not that hard. So to sort of break through the wet paper bag of believing that it's going to cost millions of dollars when in fact it's going to save millions of dollars. Mm. I think the second thing uh, would be to decide for ourselves as individuals that we're going to be the best version of ourselves and in order to do so we need to further establish our own conflict fluency and learn more about the subject to help ourselves with ambiguity so that when we find ourselves in tough situations we're less likely to to respond or react in a way that we we maybe we would regret in the future and i think the last thing on a personal note is and your caller talked about judgment and assumptions and to remember how fast this stuff happens in our body physiologically and that in order for us to make those changes over time, it takes, it takes practice and it takes catching ourselves and it takes even going so far as to apologizing, um, which is very difficult in our society right now to do but to, to apologize and to share and to remember the difference between intentions and behaviors and that judgments are usually just like a boomerang. They come back to, to impact only ourselves, and usually it's, most of us, we can't catch a boomerang, so we're going <laughs> to take it in the head. So I think that those are some things that people can do and, and remember that you, you can't wish it to happen. You actually have to get skills. If you can't swing a golf club, you go get a golf coach. You know, if you you, you can't ice skate, you go go learn. And so some of these things is we can't assume that because we're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old that we just, through osmosis, have the appropriate skills we need and we can improve on them and it's it's not hard to do it. And you're talking about changing behavior. Behavior
1: means we're changing habits. To to change habits, it takes your mind focused on it to make it happen. And what you're saying is we can all do it. Dave, we're at the end of the show. Before we go, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to contact you?
2: Uh, I love email. So right now you can reach me. My last name Gerber at Synergy S Y N E R G Y D T dot com. If you go to davegerber.com or davegerber.info, it's good. And, uh, just to, to keep, uh, LinkedIn, that'd be a great place to, uh, to look and see what's coming up. Um, you know, I'll be starting my, uh, my own show with Voice America, uh, r- uh preparing for robots in September and some other things. So I, I really appreciate being with you and hopefully we can have you on the show and that'd be awesome.
1: Yes, Dave, because I'm so intrigued about your robot and what you're doing with that work. So the other listening audience, he's got some really fantastic stuff coming up. Dave, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. And to all the, all the listeners out there, if you've got a topic or someone else that you would like to have on the show to enrich our dialogue around transformational energy leadership, please let me know. In the meantime, harness your positive energy and lead transformation. We will talk with you next week. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.